Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I love introducing you to people who are committed to their own development, as well as helping others become the very best very best version of themselves. And that's also a key focus of my company, Grow Strong Leaders. We publish software tools and books for improving the way people connect with each other at work. And you can find us at growstrongleaders.com. And today we have such a special guest. I am so excited to welcome Jason Diggs. Welcome, Jason. Thank you so much, Meredith. Wonderful to be here. Well, you know, speaking of people connecting at work, this is your area of expertise, and I'm so looking forward to exploring that. First, I want to give a shout out to our mutual friend and colleague, David Wood, because he's the one where I heard you being interviewed on his podcast. Oh, yeah. And as I listened to you, I thought, oh, my goodness, I've got to have Jason on my show because the kinds of things you were talking about and what you cover in your book are just very powerful. So thank you for saying yes to being mm -hmm. a guest with me today. Yeah, Jason is the author of an excellent book called Conflict Equals Energy the transformative practice of authentic relating. And Jason considers himself a modern Renaissance man. He's equal parts artist, philosopher, teacher, and media producer. From 2003 to 2012, he worked for Integral Institute to create thousands of hours of educational media on the topics of transpersonal psychology, spirituality, productivity, and personal growth. So his interest in these topics goes way back. And now he is really obsessed with how humans can live and relate optimally. Since 2012, he has facilitated groups and taught authentic relating and circling courses in over 20 cities around the world. Jason, I can't think of a topic that's more important for us in today's world than what we're going to be covering today about authentic relating and how to really connect with others and how to see conflict in a totally different way. I love your approach to that. Before we jump in, tell us a little bit about how you, you know, made this transition from video production to hmm. getting involved with circling and authentic relating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I moved to Boulder, Colorado in 2003, and I began working for a philosopher and author named Ken Wilber, and he's known as the Einstein of consciousness. He's written, you know, 25 books on uh, East-West psychology and East-West uh, philosophy as something he calls integral theory. And uh, shortly after I moved to Colorado, uh, I began uh, uh, as a media producer working with him and getting to meet people like David Data and Deepak Chopra and and like all of these famous people. And I was the person like filming them and pinning microphones on them and developing content back in the, um, the home office and putting it out there onto the internet. And, uh, you know, that was my path for about 10 years of really just helping 
um, luminaries get their message out there and, and really amplifying their voices. And, you know, I felt the call uh, starting about 10 years ago to lead groups and I had almost no training. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, I can lead a group. And so I put a group together that ran for about for a whole summer. Um, there was, you know, eight of us that met and, and uh, you know, studied a certain body of knowledge. And I just caught the bug for facilitation. And facilitation is a really interesting art form because it's almost like um, the possibilities and limitations of where a group can go when I'm leading it is really um, determined by my own consciousness, my own, you know, um, uh, humor, my own um, joy, my own uh, places that I'm not willing to go in myself all create the culture of the group. And so I really began to uh, study deeply how, um, you know, we co-create culture within communities and, and leadership is really um, often someone who is taking responsibility for creating the culture, you know, and it could be a culture of product productivity to get something done in the world, but there's so many different values and aspects that we can come from. Um, and so that's been my path for the last 10 years is, is flying around the world and, and developing courses and uh, uh, working with the other leaders in the circling and authentic relating field to really uh, legitimize this practice because, you know, it really did start out as a personal growth practice, you know, similar to Landmark Forum or, uh, you know, it's really influenced by Gestalt psychology, um, you know, it's influenced obviously by mindfulness and, and what authentic relating is, you know, uh, is really this uh, relational mindfulness. So it's, it's based in the present moment. So if we, if we let all of our ideas about the future go and uh -huh. uh, let, you know, all of our ideas about the past and our assumptions and expectations and, and put those to rest and come right here, right now into the moment, but in connection with one another, like in connection as a group, um, you know, relationship uh, is a slower pace than our mind <laughs> or our, you know, our ambition and our desire to get things done in the world is a faster pace than our heart. And so very often the key to um, uh, relational mind mindfulness is taking that time to slow down um, and really focus on relationship. Mm -hmm. I love that. And that, in fact, I was going to ask you to help define, you know, what do you mean by that authentic relating? Because I think everybody's familiar with those two words, but when you put them together, what does that really look like? And mm -hmm. so when we think about slowing down, I think that's really challenging for people to mm -hmm. do when we're all so busy. And I'd love for you to talk about so many things. I have so many questions, but around this slowing down, there's also this aspect you talk about in your book around noticing. Mm -hmm. And I would really like you to talk about the benefits. What is it people are noticing when they're really focused on the moment, when they're in this mindfulness state in being present with another person or with a group of people? Yeah, the way that I like to uh, talk about this, and I think it's a really helpful metaphor, is that um, our heart and our emotions um, and our intuition or our bodies, like I think of our intuition living in our belly, right? And it's really connected to our embodiment. 
um, they speak a completely different language than our minds. <laughs> like, so if you think of, use the metaphor, like your mind uh, speaks in English or whatever your native language is, right? And then the heart speaks Martian. And then the your, your intuition speaks um, uh, Swahili or something like that. And <laughs> authentic relating is really about syncing up these three things, you know, heart, head, gut. Mm-hmm. And allowing them to talk to one another, allowing them to. And so our decision-making and our, our choicefulness and our choice, uh, choices in relationship to other people become more informed by our intuition, more informed by what our body is telling us, which, um, you know, can os- often uh, be difficult to interpret, you know, just take the, um, the example of fear, you know, our body will send us signals of fear. Well, that can happen for um, several different reasons. Mm-hmm. It could be, it could be, um, you know, the person um, that we're talking to is hiding something, um, and it's not that they're untrustworthy. It's that they're hiding their agenda, and and we shouldn't say yes until we actually say, "Hey, what's your actual agenda?" Like, get let's get authentic here, right? Um, and fear can also come from our own past. And we can project onto other people of like, oh, this person is trying to put one over on me. But, you mm-hmm. know, most of the message is coming from all of the past fears and times where you have felt uh, powerless. Or and, and so authentic relating and coming into the present moment is really about interpreting the messages from our heart, the messages from our intuition or our gut or belly, um, and really integrating them with the thinking mind, which is, is oh so important. You know, mm-hmm. back, back in the seventies in per- personal growth culture, they used to say, um, get out of your mind and into your body. And, and like, that's, that's not a good teaching. Just, just to be clear, <laughs> we want, we want to like really honor the full um, capacity of our discernment in our, in mm-hmm. our mind. But if we're overbalanced and like we're really making, you know, 90 or 95% of our decisions just from, you know, a pros and cons list, like we were taught in, in school and we're mm-hmm. not including the heart and we're not including our intuition. Um, we're really doing ourselves a disservice. How do we bring all of that together when we're interacting with someone that is very much more head only Mm-hmm. What are some ways to recognize where the other person is coming from mm-hmm. so we can say the right thing, address it? Because so much of what I really admire about what you've packed into this book is looking at, as you said, being authentic, being willing to risk uh, from a from a place of feeling safe to own my feelings, own what I'm seeing Mm-hmm. And bring that up to someone. How do we do that in a way that opens the conversation and doesn't slam it shut? Mm-hmm. Well, one way is to ask w- about people's values, right? Um, you know, people are often, um, if they're stuck in their heads or they're, you know, holding their cards close to their chest and really coming from their mind most of the time, that's okay. That's actually the norm in our culture, right? And any, um, including the heart and including our intuition is actually an act of bravery. And most people don't have training in it. Like that's, that's why we train, uh, 
people in authentic relating communication skills uh, because our culture really needs it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so one thing we can do, one tool um, is we can ask people about what they're valuing. And so what that looks like is someone might say, hey, um, this needs to happen and, and, and like we need it yesterday. And, and, and you can say, great, like I, want, I really want to put my full effort into this. Can you explain to me your thinking and like what you're really valuing and wh- why, this, why this is such a high priority uh, versus you know, everything else we're doing? Um, and so it's like you're kind of in a, in a very um, uh, subtle way asking, what is so important about this? What's important to you about this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think when people really feel alignment with um, an initiative and, and a mission, um, there's just so much energy there. There's so much energy of passion. Um, you know, people enjoy their, their work more. And so as leaders, we really need to learn how to harness that, that power of the heart. Um, mm-hmm. And we can do that by asking questions. We can ask uh, why, but not to question the person's thinking, but to question what's underneath the thinking mm-hmm. that, is, that is so important to them. Yeah, I was just, as I was listening to you, to you phrase that particular question, I thought how you say that is really important. So it doesn't put the person on the defensive mm-hmm. and feel like, uh-oh, I've got to defend myself or, you know, feeling challenged because mm-hmm. that's not going to open up the dialogue you're hoping to create mm-hmm. with that question. That's really great. And of course, one of your key themes throughout is this curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such an important element that it, it keeps us from being too wedded to our own beliefs, our own thoughts and opinions. And I think it would be really useful for people to capture you know, what is really meant by authentic relating, if you could just briefly describe the five practices, because I Mm -hmm. think those are very powerful. Yeah. So practice number one is welcome everything, right? We can't um, skillfully interact with others and a situation unless we first welcome it. And so much of in our awareness um, is uh, we can resist and suppress our emotions because they're uncomfortable or we can resist and repress other people because they're inconvenient for us. And this doesn't get us anywhere. <laughs> so the first mm-hmm. thing we need to do is welcome. And we call this welcome everything. Um, assume nothing is really a practice of uh, checking our assumptions because assumptions and expectations are really um, 90 or 95% of the reasons that we get off track in our relationships Mm, uh, and mm -hmm. misunderstandings most often, almost always actually come from assumptions and expectations. So we practice noticing our assumptions and then dropping them or checking them. We call that assume nothing. So welcome everything, assume nothing, uh, reveal your experience. And so this is being willing to reveal what's underneath right? What's, what's underneath the surface, um, being able to reveal yourself personally, um, because that's really the key to how we feel connected. Um, and if we feel isolated or we feel disconnected, or we, um, you know, are having challenges with people very often revealing ourselves and, and, uh, revealing ourselves even with vulnerability, 
uh, is really the bridge back to connection. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the fourth practice is called own your experience. And this is really something that comes from nonviolent communication, uh, you know, which is, it's, it's a, it's a way of, uh, it's a path of empowerment. In other words, instead of blaming other people for our feelings that are happening inside, instead of blaming the outside or the situation for what's happening inside, we take responsibility for it and we own our experience. And there's a whole language pattern where we speak in I statements instead of, um, you know, making claims about the reality and how things are and how other people are and how situations are. We really bring all of that. We flip everything else around and we own our experience. And then the fifth practice is honor self and other. Um, and so these are the five practices of authentic relating. You know, it's one of the main anchors that we teach around. So, uh, you know, I have an entire communication course that I uh, bring companies and teams through um, that that's based on this. And there, there's a lot of aspects to it. it. Authentic relating, it's really a very interesting animal because in a way it's like an uh, almost like an open source decentralized movement. There's there's about 20 teachers around the world doing it, and and I um, I synthesized a lot of it into uh, the book, and I mm-hmm. put as much of the curriculum as I could, and I really packed it into the book. You know, um, there's there's like 30 tools that you can apply directly to your life. Where I, you know, I talk about the um, the philosophy and the teachings for like three pages, but then I immediately go to a tool that you can Mm -hmm. apply directly and try out for two pages. And I, I do that throughout the whole book. Um, and I think where authentic relating, so there's the five practices, which is one of the main pieces, but I also think that, um, noticing appreciation and curiosity is really the foundation as well. You mentioned Mm -hmm. noticing, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is, uh, noticing, what's happening in the other, noticing what's happening in myself, noticing what's happening in a dynamic, uh, noticing patterns of like, every time we start a meeting, you know, five minutes late, Bill seems frustrated. Like, can we all really uh, make an attempt to be on time? I, I think things will go smoother. I think Bill will feel really honored because, you know, he's the person doing blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, n- noticing is is a, a key. And then Appreciation and curiosity, I think, are also, um, and the way that I think about these is like, if I could just shout one message from the mountaintop, from Mount Everest to all of humanity, I would say that appreciation and curiosity are skills and to be learned and muscles to be exercised. Amen. I'm with you. Talk about each one of those and why you believe that so strongly. I'm just picturing you up on the mountaintop, (laughs) (laughs) you know, really, because I really get that. I I so uh, agree with you on both of those. And I would like to have you share your perspective on what you've learned over the years. What difference Mm -hmm. does developing those muscles make in our relationships? Yeah, all the difference in the world, you know, and um, there's a chapter in the book on appreciation and a chapter on curiosity. Um, But I'll talk about appreciation in a way that I don't normally. Um, It really is like, I, can I pause for a second? And can you, okay. Um, 
I love go I love going at this pace and I just lost my train of thought. Um Hmm. Oh yeah, I got it. So there's something called entropy. Do you know what entropy is? It's a really interesting law. Basically, um, not not moving, a lack of energy. Oh, that's inertia. Okay. Inertia is like stuckness. Entropy basically says in physics, unless we're um, doing something, actively doing something to create order, everything moves towards chaos. Ah, okay. <laughs> and this is a really interesting um, idea to apply to relationships. Um, if we're not actively doing, um, you know, uh, some relational hygiene and clearing things up between you and I, and you and I are working together over years, uh, small resentments can build up over time. Mm. Right. And so appreciation is the key to really creating the he like health in our relationships um, to not only say thank you and nice job, but to really get the specifics of what that person is contributing. Because that particular person has a uniqueness, a way that they bring their gifts into the world and into, into, into community. And they might be pretty poor at like five things, right? And if you focus on the five things that they are not that great at, your relationships are going to like go down the toilet. But instead, if we focus on like, what are the gifts of this person? And we praise that and we appreciate it and we acknowledge it and we celebrate it that person can just open up and flourish. And it's, it's really uncanny. Um, yeah, so there's this irony, um, which Fritz Perls uh, called the, um, the paradoxical theory of change. And, um, you know, he's one of the founders of um, Gestalt psychology and, and um, modern uh, humanistic psychology. And the paradoxical theory of change basically says, if you try to get someone to change, they're going to dig in their heels and they're not going to do it. <laughs> it actually creates stuckness. But if you accept someone exactly as they are, ironically, that is what allows them un to unfold and transform and change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the entire field of psychology is based on this insight in a lot of ways. Um, and it's easy to forget. It's easy to focus on the problem. Actually, our brains are structured <laughs> to look for problems and figure out how to solve them. Because if we don't, our survival might be in jeopardy, right? Our brains are literally designed that way. Our, our physiology, our neurobiology is designed to look for problems and try to solve them. And when we do that in our relationships, it doesn't work well. It, things don't work out well. And we need to train ourselves to do the opposite in relationships, which is appreciating others. Oh, I really appreciate how organized this person is and or how friendly this person is or how, um, you know, how this person just effortlessly um, asks a question when they feel confused and, and doesn't try to hide it. Like I can actually learn from that. So if we go around telling the people we work with, like, oh, I have something to learn from you, right? That creates humility and um, good feelings. And, and so appreciation 
is far more than saying thank you and nice job. It's an entire uh, cultural change mechanism that we can implement. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it's so powerful. I'm a big believer in what you're saying there. And what's interesting is I thinking back over the years, different jobs that I had where there was someone who, you know, I, I would have this friction with, And had I known this skill back then, it would have made such a big difference because I could have focused on what it was that I valued about them instead of getting annoyed. And, you know, this happens in our homes, Jason, as well, whether it's a spouse or children. So for someone that has a relationship where there's been this tension or friction, what is a a small step someone could make to move towards a spirit of appreciation and move away from that judgment and criticism that's been the past pattern? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a, it's a really complex question that you're asking. You know, the reason the book is called conflict equals energy is because uh, the advanced version, the advanced uh, practices in authentic relating is about transforming conflict, right? So Uh, Chapter 11 and 12 in the book really focus on conflict transformation. And Mm. it's really the first 10 chapters, which is kind of our, you know, our wax on, wax off, uh, Sam the deck, left and right. Like it's all of our basic, all of our basic relational skills and communication skills really lead to healthy relationships and the ability to navigate challenge and, and, and um, really clean up and clear out our relationships when there are resentments, you know, every, everyone experiences, I've never met someone. Maybe, maybe there's a few enlightened people on the planet who are different than me, but like, I struggle with resentment towards the people closest to me. You know, I don't know if you do too, but I think it's, it's really natural to come up. Um, and the important thing is how we deal with it, which is really, um, so curiosity can really help us. Um, you know, curiosity is the key to dropping our assumptions. Um, and notice that you you are probably making a lot of assumptions about the person um, and why they're doing things. Um, so there's another main teaching in psychology called the fundamental astrib- the fundamental attribution attribution error. So mm-hmm. in in the absence of any in, uh, information to the contrary we will assume other people have the same motivations that we do, (laughs) right? So in other words, to say it more simply, we're constantly projecting our ideas of what someone's motivation is. We're looking at their behavior, which is Mm -hmm. observable. And we're constantly um, projecting our motivations, which creates misunderstanding and resentment and all this stuff over time. So really um, one very simple tool is, just ask like, Mm -hmm. Hey, Hey, I think you're, um, you know, uh, avoiding me because, um, you know, I shared a different opinion than you in the meeting last week. Is that true? And they might might be like, no, I'm I'm having having a tough time at home. And like, all of a sudden you're in a conversation, a personal conversation about them at home and and then your work from the, for the next, you know, few days is, is just much more in flow and in synergy. 
and like, you know, you had a, you had a nice, you know, personal conversation with a colleague for five or seven minutes and they feel supported and they feel better, right? Just because you checked out your assumption. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I think when you're using the word assumption, I'm also thinking of that word story uh, that Byron Katie talks about. You know, we have these thoughts that lead us to write entire scripts about somebody in our head and mm-hmm. why they're doing what they're doing. And it's so simple to just ask that question and check out, is our assumption anywhere near what's really going on with them so that we're not walking around concluding they're mad at me or they're you know angry about something I said or all these things that often aren't true at all, but we we build up these thoughts that we start believing. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a word a few minutes ago, humility. And one of the distinctions you make, and yet combinations too, is around dignity and humility. So talk about your definition of those two and how they work together to create transformation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Chapter one in the book is about polarity. And there's, there's two polarities in uh, authentic relating that are the most important and um, dignity and humility is one of my favorite teachings. And often when I do workshops, you know, and I'll see someone three months later or six months later, they'll be like that thing that about dignity and humility that like that really stuck with me and it really like changed everything for me. Um, So what this means is that, you know, we can feel really strongly about something, right? And be in the dignity of your, our voice. So dignity, what uh, my definition of it is my voice matters. What I, my perspective matters, what I say matters. Um, my, my voice is meaningful and I need to speak up, right? And humility is others have something to teach me. I have something to learn here, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, I have something to teach here, dignity, and I have something to learn here, humility. And there's a shadow, there's a shadow polarity. So posture and collapse are the things that happen. And we can we can actually learn to notice um, the way posture and collapse shows up in our nervous system. The way it feels, the way it feels like the, um, and this is the key to developing more dignity and humility is to really keep an eye on the shadow. So posture is my voice matters and yours doesn't, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Do, Do you see how like posture is actually a lack of humility? Right, right. Right? I'm tracking. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And collapse is my voice doesn't matter. So I'm going to not say anything. So collapse is a lack of dignity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so really like, you know, um, humility is another way to think, uh, think about it, just to really anchor it in and make it really simple. It's symbolized by our ears. We have two ears, you know, so we, we can listen twice as much as we speak. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, like we have a voice for a reason. And if our voice is um, suppressed, you know, uh, the voice is so interesting. It's so closely tied to our identity. 
you know, just criticize someone's singing voice and see how how quickly they get <laughs> um, triggered or or upset at you because it's so close to our identity, our voice, um, and you know you can notice ways that your own voice is like crackly or soft or trails off at the end or like all of these are signs that you could develop more dignity. Right. And it's, it's a certain type of um, verbal emotional power, but it's not power over. It's not power at the expense of anyone. In fact, it's, it's one of the main things that I think can have us respected at work, you know, have us, um, excel and get promoted is really a sense of like my contribution here matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking about that in terms of the, the context of the authentic relating. And when I bring dignity, when I bring humility together into the conversation, there's that balance that I'm respecting the other person's dignity, humility at the same time as, you know, owning it for myself. And I think that that allows us to, it goes back to that whole emotional intelligence of, you know, how, how am I, how am I relating to myself? How am I relating to this other person Mm -hmm. and um, connecting in order to connect most effectively with them? Yeah. And thinking about building cultures where people feel safe. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about this psychological safety, because that's another element that you address in the book. And I think that's so important for leaders who inadvertently create a situation sometimes where people don't feel psychologically safe. So what are some of the things a leader might say that could damage that or make it feel unsafe? And what are some alternatives to things they could say that could create that sense of safety? Mm, thank you. Yeah, I'm really glad you're um, you're asking this because we can get like directly into some of the most practical things in the book, which I love doing. Um, but just to address the first thing that you said, yeah, emotional intelligence is really important. We, we've known that. Like, I think the book Emotional Intelligence maybe was published like 29 years ago or something. Um, and so I think we're actually still figuring out in our culture how to grow our emotional intelligence, which is where authentic relating comes in. So, um, you know, there's, uh, there's a whole new concept called relational intelligence, which has a fair amount of overlap with emotional intelligence, but it's basically that we actually know what to do and say in the moment um, to create the kinds of relationships that we want, the kinds of effects and outcomes that we want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that could be, you know, I want more productivity and synergy on the team to move towards a goal. And as a leader, relational intelligence is what like the things you actually say and the results and impact that you're actually having. <laughs> Whereas emotional intelligence really focuses on our, um, our inter, um, intra personal awareness of like how to maintain ourselves and like um, 
you know, there's, there's a whole body of knowledge around self-care and, and emotional regulation and stuff like that that has to do with emotional intelligence. Um, but psychological safety, you know, it's been a huge buzzword ever since, um, I guess it was like 2015 or something like that. Google published a study, um, and a lot of people listening are probably familiar with this. Um, and they basically found five factors that, um, made for uh, per highly productive um, teams, right? And they, they studied all these things, they did all this research. Um, and then they found that actually the, the four of those factors actually depended on the number one factor, which was psychological safety. <laughs> so mm -hmm. turns out research is saying that it's really important. Um, and so, you know, this is an insight that came into business culture only seven years ago. Um, and I think we're still learning similar to emotional intelligence, what actually creates it, mm -hmm. what actually has psychological safety happen in real time and how to train leaders and managers to do it. And that's, that's really the cutting edge of, of my work. Um, so in the book, uh, there's probably a hundred different places where I say, um, Try saying it like this. So I give a lot of really practical examples. Yes, you of, do. And um, and so in you know in the psychological safety tool, which um, you know it's just two pages in in the middle of the book. Um, it is in the curiosity chapter, by the way. Um, I'll just read these examples. So you are really important to me. I care about you a lot. Like just saying that in one of our personal relationships it creates psychological safety. It's one little drop in that bucket, right? Um, another way to say it is like, I have your back here, no matter what, like I'm here to back you up, mm -hmm. right? The, that's, that's investing into the relationship. So, um, you know, an example that you might say at work is like, I wanna make sure to get your input on these kinds of things because I noticed you're really good at X, Y, and Z. You know, that's, that's something we can say. And like, the more often we're saying these statements, the more we're actually weaving the web of psychological safety. So uh, the last example, it's important to me that you know how valuable you are to this team, right? And we, we really need to learn to make it our own so that we are, we do feel genuine with what we're mm -hmm. saying, saying, but um learning to, to, I call them psychological safety statements. And the tool in the book is called psychological safety net, <laughs> right? Because it is a really a web that we create together. Mm -hmm. but, but let's back up for a second. What's, let's define it. What is psychological safety? Okay. So this goes into role power and power dynamics, which is a hugely important topic you know, the workplace is really changing, um, you know, in terms of power dynamics, role dynamics, diversity, like all of these topics are really, really, have really become important in the last five years. Um, so psychological safety means that if you have less role power than anyone else you're interacting with, which is literally everyone besides one person in the company, <laughs> you feel free to speak your mind without fear of retribution, mm -hmm. without, without fear of losing your livelihood, 
without fear of people um, backbiting and gossiping about you, without fear of, you know, people um, passing you over for a promotion or like, you know, not giving you uh, like, like a, take a very simple example, you know, if someone speaks up and speaks their mind and then the manager, you know, gives them all the crappiest shifts, you know, and, and doesn't fulfill their requests for vacation, like that is not a psychologically safe workplace. Mm-hmm. And it's training people to not speak up. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And so we're in, I think the beginning stages of really unwinding unhealthy power dynamics and really learning what healthy power is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, really earnestly trying to create psychological safety is a, is a huge first step. Um, so. And I think, you know, one of the words that's coming to mind as you're describing this is trust. Mm-hmm. You know, if I trust that you have my back, if I trust that you are looking for the best in me, then I feel safe in you telling me the truth or in me telling you the truth of what I'm really feeling and thinking and what's really going on. All of these are so interrelated. And I love the way you weave them together in the book. Like you say, the first parts are really building all those pieces and explaining what they are and how they work together. And so let's wrap up by having you describe a little bit about the title conflict equals energy. Mm. Talk about those words and the juxtaposition of those with the equal sign. Uh, yeah, well, there, all of the um, aliveness and energy is here in the present moment. And, you know, we spend a lot of time in the past and we spend a lot of time in the future. Our brains are just designed that way, right? It, we, could, we can do mindfulness and meditation for 20 years um, and we can get more into the present moment, uh, right? We can practice authentic relating or relational mindfulness, and we can get more into the present moment, but we're always going to be dealing with the past and the future because that's just how our brains are really, really structured. Well, conflict is a very different animal than normal life. <laughs> in no- like in normal life, it's kind of like, let's talk about the timeline. Let's figure out which pieces you're doing, which pieces I'm doing. Um, you know, let's, let's strategize, let's make a plan B because I don't know if we're going to meet the timeline, right? It's, um, and all of that is strategic thinking, right? Well, in conflict, all of our strategies kind of go out the window and we are very exposed. You know, our fears are exposed, our, um, maybe, you know, um, our, vulnerability, our sadness, our grief, our, our, um, our clinging to another person, you know, our, uh, you know, vulnerability is a really interesting word. It means a lot of things, but, you know, as humans, um, we really need each other. We're really dependent on each other. We could not survive without each other. We, you know, we could not survive without grocery stores and, and, um, people to, take care of all of our needs. We're, we're really reliant on one another. And in American culture and Western culture, we kind of have this um, way of pretending like that's not the case. 
pretending like we are independent and pretending like we are, can, uh, you know, we have this phrase, uh, self-made man or self-made person. It's just, there's no such thing as it. It's, it's a complete myth, you know? Um, and so in conflict, we really um, are fully into the present moment. Do you notice how in conflict, your physiology, your body just starts screaming at you? <laughs> These <laughs> things of like, you're not safe. This person's trying to do something like, like and it's lit literally physiologically painful. They've, they've now done studies where emotional pain, AKA conflict um, is, fires the exact same nerve uh, uh, neurons as physically getting injured. Mm. So if I'm afraid that you're speaking negatively about me to my colleagues, um, it's the same as me breaking my leg on a neurophysical level in terms of the level of pain, right? So the reason I called the book Conflict Equals Energy is because um, I've developed these two practices, uh, these two processes, really. Each one has five steps, um, and we don't have time to go into that now. But one is called emotional Aikido, and the other is called emotional alchemy. Mm -hmm. and this is really specifically how we can transform conflict. You know, it's, it's a process of mediation, you could call it, you know, where I can walk two people through or a team through uh, these different steps. You know, each of the, if you learn the five steps, um, each one has a principle or practice that, you know, you can um, really, really learn to be um, a, a relational master or relational mm -hmm. je Jedi, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, conflict equals energy uh, you know, we're, we're speaking at a time, you know, it's February 24th when we're recording this. Um, literally, there's war for the first time in Europe. And, you know, I read, I read a post earlier today that's like, um, I think it was from the head of NATO that said, We've, we really thought that war on the continent of Europe was in the past. Mm -hmm. and, and here we are. 2022 and we have war in Europe and, and why, why do we war? And, you know, obviously we, we are very privileged in that, you know, we don't have war here in America or most of the people who are listening to this, you don't have war in your country and you don't have uh, the fear of physical safety or a threat or your possessions being taken away by the government or anything like that. However, we're still warring. We're still emotionally and psychologically warring, sometimes with our spouse, sometimes with our boss, sometimes with our best friend, you know, uh, maybe we, um, who I'm sure everyone who is listening has had the experience of losing a close friendship mm -hmm. right? where, where resentments build up over time and you, you can't come to come some mutual understanding. Um, and eventually you're just not in each other's lives anymore. Um, you know, sometimes you're just acquaintances. Um, other times your re the relationship is really severed, right? That's so painful. Um, and it's a form of psychological, emotional, inner warring that we're doing with ourselves and other people. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, the, I really have endeavored to make authentic relating as practical as possible. Um, but it does really have lofty aims in that, like, I want to teach people how to avert war in themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think Jason, that's such a magnificent goal to have. And I want to acknowledge you and mm-hmm. the brilliant way that you have put these very important concepts in, and made them so accessible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got clear steps mapped out. Yes. The emotional alchemy that was, just so wonderful because with all of those aspects of how we come to a situation and in the past we saw as a conflict, which meant get our defenses up or offense up, (laughs) you know, to make our case and prove our point and be right. And just the whole approach you take as I was reading it, I could feel myself relaxing into thinking about how different, that is and would be in a situation bringing that kind of mindset, attitude, skill to that process. So um, in wrapping up, I want to just encourage my listeners to get a copy of your book because Mm -hmm. there's so much you've put in there that to me, it's a wonderful guide for learning and then referencing over time, because so many of your exercises people could actually use with another person just Mm -hmm. to practice and get familiar with it. So like you said earlier, this thing of, you know, your appreciation muscle, your curiosity muscle, you develop it over time so that it becomes stronger and you're able to use it automatically in Mm -hmm. a given situation. Yeah. So share with my listeners, how they can connect with you, learn more about the work that you do that you were referring to during our conversation and where they can get a copy of your book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the book is available on Kindle and Amazon. um, And my website is just jasondiggs.com. And, you know, the book is right there on the front page. And, you know, I was teaching this work uh, in the personal growth realm for about eight years. And I flew all over the world. I was even like living in Bali for nine months and living in Amsterdam and teaching all over. And then in the last two years, I really focused on uh, publishing the book and uh, releasing the audiobook very soon, which I got to read in the studio. That was super fun. And, you know, what's next for me is really bringing this into companies and corporations and, and also the, the mental health field, you know, we're training, mm. um, mental health counselors and, you know, um, licensed addiction counselors and, and uh, marriage and family therapists and, and people like that in these methodologies and teachings. Uh, but it's also a really powerful um, set of principles that are very simple um, and practices which are um, really written in plain language um, that can be um, applied to any company. So you know, if there's any um, corporations or companies that really want to to bring this work into their um, company culture in earnest, like that's really where my focus are is these days. And that's great. That's yeah. good to know, Jason. Thank you so much for who you are in this world, mm. for writing this book, for mm. being such a, a bright light, and for being such a, a to me just a brilliant synthesizer of all this information to make it so accessible and usable to others. I appreciate you Mm. (laughs) in this world. Thank you so much, Meredith. It's really a pleasure to talk with you.
Thanks for tuning in to my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.